On today's episode of GM Street, we will discuss Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski reporting to camp. We will also talk about Terrell Owens, T.O., possibly coming back to the NFL. He's reaching out and saying he wants to give it a chance. And a whole lot more news around the NFL, as always. And we are part of the Ringer Podcast Network, where the Ringer NBA show has you covered for the NBA Finals. Kevin O'Connor is there on the ground, along with the boss, Bill Simmons. Uh, You can also check out our new music podcast, On Shuffle, hosted by Micah Peters, as well as our yummy new food podcast, The Dave Chang Show. Dave Chang, great guy. Just had Alan Yang on, Uh, not to to spoil it, but it was a great conversation. And be sure to check out TheRinger.com, where we have Westworld coverage, spicy NBA takes, and so much more. And now, let's get on with GM Street. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Monday. It is June 4th. I am Tate Frazier, and I am on the phone with Michael Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? Tate Frazier, I am well. I am doing well. Back on the East Coast in the great state of New Jersey. Can't beat it, Tate Frazier. Absolutely. I was just back in North Carolina. We were back in our respective home states. I am now back in sunny Los Angeles. I'm missing you here, but I'm happy you're home back in New Jersey, uh, back in your respective state. Uh, there's also a lot going on in the NFL, and we have to get to one of our favorite topics of discussion here at GM Street, and that is OBJ, Ferris Bueller, as we like to call him on this program, and what is going on with his contract situation. Yeah. He has been showing up at OTAs. Uh, everyone is talking about how much he is buying in to show these giants that he is committed and focused on proving that he deserves a new contract from the team. But today is the first day of week three of OTAs, and he is not uh, showing up to camp today for the Giants. Um, just the OBJ situation at large with this new contract, it seems like it's been a lot of back and forth about showing commitment on both sides of the equation. OBJ is trying to prove that he does want to show up in New York and be a part of that team and obviously mentor Saquon Barkley right there uh, with the offense. But now it seems like he's not showing up on Monday and he really wants to get into these contract negotiations. Where, where do you stand on the OBJ situation and what uh, should be going on there? I think too many voices in an organization always create problems in contract negotiation. We know what John Mara said about Od- mm-hmm. Odell Beckham. We know that he loves Ferris, and he's part of the fabric of the organization and all those things. And what happens is because when you have so many voices speaking out about a player and promoting the player, that makes it more difficult to do a contract with. It makes it much more difficult, even though this contract shouldn't be that hard to do when you see Mike Evans got his deal done, when you see what Jarvis Landry got his deal done. But when you're talking about making this guy into the 20 million area, like a quarterback, now all of a sudden you have to, you have to swallow hard and wonder whether you're going to do it. And what happens is everything you put into a player via the paper, it's going to be multiplied when it comes back. We had a kid when I was in Cleveland, we signed this guy, Barry Wilburn. He's a corner. From the, he played for the Redskins on the Super Bowl teams, and then he kind of fizzled out. And he was out of the league, and we gave him a, a one-year try contract. And he had a great minicamp. Okay? He looked really good in minicamp. He wanted to renegotiate his contract because we said some nice things about him in the paper during minicamp. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and you learn the lesson there that, hey, time out. You know? Nobody should be speaking about the players other than the head coach. The general manager, every time he talks about the players, he's increasing the contract value. And I think this is what we're seeing, the cause and effect of the Giants. I think what we're seeing here is the Giants have had a lot of talk. They've got a lot of talking heads there. They've got Gettleman Speaks. They've got, you know, they got uh, Pat Shermer Speaks. And then they've got, they got John Mara Speaks. They've got all these people that talk, and they're all saying how great they are. That, that, that's, not, that's not on Odell. He hears it. He expects to get paid for it. And I think that's why 
it's very difficult for Kevin Abrams, who's trying to do this contract. He's sitting there saying, look, let's focus on the numbers. Here's Mike Evans at this number. Here's Sammy Watkins at this numbers. Here's your numbers. You know, how do you, you know, I mean, it's not that hard of a contract to do because there's been deals done. But when you have this narrative that's being talked about above and beyond a receiver, whoa, timeout. There's a precedent that's been set, and you know, and I, you talk about all the other contracts that are being done out there with all these other wide receivers. So they know what the number probably would look like if they're going to make OBJ the highest paid wide receiver. But we know from what he's said and what the Giants have said about him that he believes he needs to be paid as a as, as a different echelon. In the same way that yeah, exactly right. the same way that Rob Gronkowski, you know, probably feels a little bit like that too. I mean, they they view themselves as more than just that position and being paid at that position. They view themselves as being paid as a playmaker. We know OBJ said he wants to make at least twenty million dollars. I mean, that's quarterback money. Right, exactly, and that's the problem. I mean, look, there's no Super Bowls on OJ, Od- Od- Odell's hands. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rob is responsible for winning Super Bowls in, in in New England. I mean, he's responsible for helping them win, you know. And so, the, you you know, you pay for that. That's something that costs you money when you do it. You you know, when you win, everybody benefits from it. And I just think that this has gotten and because of. You can't. You're not controlling the PR. You know, nobody mentions. There's been no mentioning of him going down to Miami. You know, in the playoff game and losing to Green Bay in Green Bay. You mm-hmm. know, about that week. You know, when he took the team under his wing, yeah. and they have yet to take him on. And now they're going to try to take him on in a contract, and it's harder. And I think this is uh, this is a mess that they've created organizationally because they fail to understand that everything they say magnifies the problem. And, and how, people always yeah. get pissed off at Belichick because he doesn't, you know, he's not trying to extol the virtues of certain players and talk about how great. Well, because he knows he's got to do a contract with them. Like there's time and place to talk about how good a player is. But to the, when, when you do it to the media and not to the, look, you can have conversation. Look, Odell's a really good player. and We need him to be a good player on our team. He is. Is he one of the best receivers in football? Yes. Is he better than this guy? Is he better than that guy? Let's have that conversation. But to put him in a quarterback class when, you know, he, could, he didn't win a playoff game with him up in Green Bay. When he, when he basically took the team down to Miami. And, you know, I mean, when he does things that are completely, you know, against what quarterbacks typically do. How do you pay that? And then once you do that, as you're in the league, you do that, you open up Pandora's mirror, Pandora's box. I mean, it's over. Pandora's mirror sounds even more daunting. Uh, I will say this. You brought up uh, the Bill Belichick situation, and he's got his guys. Uh, Gronk and Tom Brady are both, you know, their own hand. They're at Gillette Stadium, and Gronk confirmed that he will attend uh, the Pats minicamp. And, and there's been a lot of reports, and they've been talking about the the fact that it reminds me of remember the Titans when Petey says, you know, zero fun, sir. That's what uh, is going on with Belichick. You know, there's there's apparently been reports that they have zero fun with the New England Patriots, um, and that has kind of leaked out into the Gronkowski and Tom Brady. They've tried to tie those stories in. But all that to be said, there's only one voice coming out of New England, and uh, those two guys, Gronkowski and Tom Brady, will now be in camp. So I'm sure all that stuff will kind of uh, fade away. Well, they have to be. You know, yeah. Dave Frazier, you can't get fined. Mini camps are voluntary. Yep. And it's very clear in New England, either you're all in for mini camps or don't come at all. You know, this is, you know, New England's mini camp program isn't just come for a couple of days and come back, miss a week and come back. Either you want to be in for the whole thing or you don't. I mean, and that's to me the best way to do it, right? Yep. Like, you can be excused if you have something going on. Okay, I got to miss this day. Understanding. You know, my son's graduation, I can't make it here. Okay, fine. But typically, you're either all in or you're not. And so Gronk's decided because of his contract. This has always been about money. We lose sight of this, and it's been easy, and it's been kind of – and the story's changed a little bit because because it's been talked about about but no fun. I mean, look, I was there for three years. There was – players had fun there. We had fun winning. Winning is fun, but winning's hard, too. 
you know, and it's easy for guys to take shots at them from afar because, you know, they haven't been a part of it. But when you put together seven conference championships and you've been five Super Bowls, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. They play football late into January almost every year. Mm-hmm. That does get tiresome to most people. You know, they haven't had us. They haven't ended their season the January first or second, like a lot of teams in the league do, where they have the whole month of January off. It does wear and tear on their bodies, and it does wear and tear on their minds. And you can understand that. But the reality of not having fun, I, I don't buy that. I think there's certain teams that are harder to build together, and I think last year's team was indicative of that. Yeah, and there's no Hakuna Matata when you talk about uh, you know the, the fact that the New England Patriots they 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 go into every single season with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady knowing that they are trying to win a championship in the same way that LeBron James is now going into every you know NBA season with the with the outlook that I have to get to the finals I have to try to win a championship it, it's that same pedigree and you know a lot of times it's going to be tougher there's not going to be that many smiles but at the end of the day you will celebrate when you do reach the mountaintop and that is the ultimate goal. I want to talk about a guy who has a major ultimate goal to get back to the NFL, and that is T.O., Terrell Owens. Uh, he pitches the 49ers via Twitter uh, to John Lynch, the GM there. He, he wants to make a comeback to the NFL. Uh, T.O. has been <laughs> quite the character and uh, you know has entertained people for a long time and says he wants to return to football. Is there any chance that we could see this in San Francisco, Lombardi? I- I would doubt it, but I mean, look, you know, <laughs> Des I mean, Bryant T.O. is, is thinking, my goodness, I hope not. He cannot have I someone else not. take his roster spot. Yeah, you know, and I, and I think it's kind of fascinating that, 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 you know, this gets attention, but maybe that's just what it all is. It's just attention. I mean, at some point, you know, look, Brady's paying into, playing into his 40s, but T.O., I don't know how that could happen. I wouldn't put anything past T.O., but I think at this point in his life, it's hard to, you want your body, your mind wants to do it, your body just can't. Yeah, and let's, I, I, you know, I brought up Dez. I just kind of want to talk about, you know, the free agents that are still out there. We saw Brandon Marshall. He signs a deal with the Seahawks uh, for a little over $2 million. He said, you know, he came out and said he didn't have a ton of options on the open market. He was trying to find a spot. Um, so now, you know, Dez is in this situation where he reportedly turned down a, a Ravens deal that was three years, $21 million that they ended up giving out to Crabtree. Uh, so that was $7 million a year. Um, it, what is the market for Dez Bryant? I mean, he got a little bit screwed by being released so late, so teams had already had Address the you know their, the 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 problems that they had at wide receiver, but where is Dez looking? And I mean, is there anywhere for him to go, or is he just kind of have to have to wait this whole thing out a little bit? I mean, I think that the hard part for Dez is not being in a camp and not mm-hmm. learning somebody's offense because where he's coming from. So he's in the Dallas and the Clappers offense, and the Clappers offense is a derivative of Norv's offense, which is all numerical. And so, if say he goes to a West Coast system and say he starts having to learn his passing game, his passing routes by words, and you know that's going to be hard harder for Dez, and it's going to be harder when he doesn't have a true when he doesn't have an off season program to kind of work his way through it. And I, and I think this is really what's hard. And, you know, Dez is going from, you know, making $12, $13 million a year to now what's he going to make? I mean, I, you know, you turn down it. Your value is in the NFL what people want to pay. And mm-hmm. I think it's going to be very difficult for him to to get a big-time contract. He's going to have to prove it on a contract and see what he can do. I mean, I would assume, and I don't know this for a fact, but I would assume Seattle would have talked to Dez before they went to Brandon Marshall. Healthier body, you know, maybe has a chance to bounce back. If Marshall's a one-year guy, that's most you're going to get out of Marshall. I'm not sure Marshall can stay healthy for the entire season. Maybe he can. But if you're John Schneider, you'd rather have Dez if you're going to go down this older vet, this older veteran receiver road. And so obviously Dez wasn't interested in one of these minimum contracts. And so now he's either got to take himself like there's no ten million a year contract sitting out there right no. now. I mean, look, Kendricks just signed with Cleveland for three and a half million dollars for a one year deal. You know, it's a lower deal. It's a defensive player. 
So you're going to have to spend, you're going to have to take the money and get into a camp. And I think really, if I was a team of a GM and knowing that Dez is not going to be adaptive to the new offense as quickly as you need him to be, you're basically saying to yourself, I'm going to pay four million. And am I really going to get 16 games out of him? Because maybe the first half of the season, he might not really know what to do. Yeah. I want to talk about it a little bit more. I mean, there there are a lot of notable names out there that are still free agents, you know, just for the, the casual football fan that knows guys that are on the field that they've seen before. I mean, Jeremy Macklin is another receiver out there uh, that will probably get some looks. Yeah, okay, the so he's out there. He's been hurt the last couple seasons. Mm-hmm. So what happens to these older guys that get hurt, nobody wants to touch them. Eric Decker is another guy like that. Decker couldn't separate last year for Tennessee. He's going to have a hard time separating against two deep man coverage. It's going to be hard for those guys, you know, and, and – once Gruden doesn't want you as an older receiver, it's kind of hard to get a job. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like the landing spot for all old receivers. You know, you would think Dez would have a place out in Oakland, but obviously John knows that Dez would probably struggle to handle all the things he wants to do on his offense. So I think this is the time of the year where you have to make a decision. Either I get into a camp or and I, t- and I make a one-year deal and turn into something bigger, or I don't and I just hope, and it's really just a hope because there's no big deals coming down the road. All right, word on the street, uh, one of our favorite segments where we just go around and see some news and notes around the league. Uh, tight end, Zach Miller, we know and remember from the Bears, uh, that serious injury last year. Um, the Bears are bringing him back, and you know, I just want to put it out there. Congratulations for Zach Miller. I mean, when that happened, that was a, a horrible injury that everyone was sort of uh, reactive to and you know did not ever want to see that on the field, but he looks like he will be able to at least try to mount a comeback for the Bears, so that's good news for the tight end, Zach Miller. It really is. And I, you know, this Bear team has got some things going for it, right? I mean, Nagy's got an offense that can be conducive. It's all going to come down to Trubisky, mm-hmm. whether he can actually operate in this Kansas City West Coast College offense. And can he make it? They've got skilled players now. They've increased their offensive line. They're better. I mean, I think the Chicago team's got some things going for it. It's all going to come down to Trubisky, really. At the end of the day, do you believe in him? I don't. But we're going to find out whether who's right and who's wrong here. If Trubisky can take the Jared Goff leap and jump up that high like he did, then the Bears certainly have the elements of being a really good team. I mean, they're not they're not going to win five games, and they're not going to win 15, but they're going to be somewhere in between, and they've got a chance to be competitive depending on what, what Trubisky can do in this new style of offense. And if he can't play in this scheme, Tate Frazier, I don't know what scheme he's going to be able to play in. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of uh, sneaky picks I've seen. You know, everyone's doing their preseason, you know, who's going to win divisional picks. And uh, a lot of people in the NFC North are, you know, even with the Vikings loading up with, you know, getting Cousins there and obviously having their team coming back with Diggs and Adam Thielen. But uh, people were saying that the, the Bears could be a sneaky team if Mitch Trubisky can make that leap. And speaking of Carolina quarterbacks that are trying to make that leap, uh, Cam Newton, had his annual kickball tournament this weekend. There were a lot of people there and uh, a lot of former players. Josh Norman was there. We got a little bit of Cam Newton, Josh Norman reunion for all the Carolina Panthers fans from the 2015 season. And uh, another guy was there, which is a rival in the NFC South, Julio Jones. And Cam Newton and Julio Jones took a picture and the Carolina Panthers Twitter account tweeted at the Falcons, hey, basically with the two of them, you know, hanging out. And Julio had this whole, you know, situation on social media where he deleted all of his Falcons posts and and got rid of his social media for a little bit. And people were freaking out, wondering what that meant because um, he had, you know, been in some conversations about re-upping on his contract. But this happens this weekend. Is there anything to buy into this, Lombardi, or should we just not care? Is this no big news? I think I think to Julio's, I think Julio's in the same boat that Kurt Robs and Gronkowski's in. I think he's in the same boat that Brady's in. I think he's watching these contracts and he's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know I have a contract. I know I have more years left, but like, this is really wrong. Like for Sammy Watkins to make more money than me, time out. 
you know, time out. This is the problem with doing contracts on these guys early because they always get passed. This, this is what the union wants. The union wants the Sammy Watkins contract to be so good that it forces Julio to redo his deal. And then all of a sudden the numbers keep keep trending upwards. And if you're Julio, you get, you know, you have the only thing you can do is what he's doing is stay away, come for the mini camp, basically, you know, do what you're told to do because you're going to get fined. They're going to come back. And if you miss a camp or you miss anything that's mandatory, they're going to come after your signing bonus. That's what the new collective bargaining agreement agreed upon. That's why we don't see holdouts anymore. Mm-hmm. That's why it's very difficult to hold out. They want to come after your signing bonus. If you get suspended, you're losing some of your signing bonus. Even though it's been paid, you're going to lose it because the signing bonus is prorated and there's offset language in there based on missing games or missing mandatory events. So guys will show up when they have to, but it's clearly this is a protest and going over to be with Cam. It's clearly saying, hey, Atlanta, pay attention to me, man. You got to pay me. And if you're, I mean, I know it. You know Devin Funches works out with Muhammad Sanu, another you know Falcons receiver. They you know they work out in the offseason together. I mean th- this happens all the time. Players are friends. It doesn't you know there's no organi- organizational split a lot of the times. Uh, you know you know people are just you know friendly outside of outside of the lines. But if you're Dimitrov and you're the GM of the Falcons, if you see this, I mean, do you have any reaction to it? Do you reach out to Julio? Do you do you do you try to make some sort of contact, or do you just kind of leave it as you know and, and leave it for what it is? I think, you know, the thing you got to be able to do is, and I'm sure Arthur Blank's looking at it, you got to be able to have a conversation internally. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? You know, do we want to extend it? What's the, what's the, what's the best thing we can do to resolve this issue? Because it's not going to go away. We're not, we can't bury our head in the sand. The guy is going to want to get paid and he deserves to get more money, but he does have a contract. So now you've got all sorts of policies that you have in place. I mean, Gronk has always renegotiated his contract. I mean, the ink's not even dry on the last contract and Gronk wants to renegotiate, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, you know, this isn't like a bad person because you want to renegotiate. This is just the reality of the league we live in today. And that's one of the things that makes the NBA so much better is because they got those max contracts. You know, guys will get out of their deals. They can opt out and do things so that it becomes a little bit easier. Now these guys, the market's ever evolving and there's going to have to be changes. And you as the general manager, you got to pay, pay attention to it. Whenever you do a contract or whenever you see another contract done, you got to pay attention to it and see how it reacts. That's not saying you have to redo everybody's contract, but you got to know what's going on. You have to have a conversation with the agent and let them know. And whatever you say to that agent, you got to make sure you're very clear and concise because that's going to get conveyed back to the player. And if the player doesn't feel the value, obviously you can tell that the, the NFL players themselves, some of these stars like a Brady, like a Gronkowski, like an OBJ, like a Julio Jones, they're trying to take some of that onus and put the ball a little bit back in their court because for so long it, it did not seem like that was the case. And as the market develops, we, it is a business. Everyone understands that. And I think for the most part, it used to be uh, the fans' uh, dismissal of those situations. It, it seems like that is not happening as often. I remember when Darrell Revis was holding out back in 2009, people were you know very upset with him for doing that for a little while, you know, even though he was trying to get paid his money. I mean, it seems like it, it sort of evolved a little bit where the fans seem to understand where the players are coming from uh, in some of those situations, which is nice. Speaking of, uh, of fans trying to understand where players are coming from, we have to talk about game one of the NBA Finals. Uh, J.R. Smith, we were all trying to understand what he was thinking when he gets this rebound uh, off a George Hill missed free throw that would have given the Cavaliers a lead. He gets the rebound uh, or beyond Kevin Durant, and then he dribbles straight out as if he was dribbling to run the clock out. We all got the famous moment where LeBron James is, you know, pointing to the basket like, "What are you doing?" Um, there was a video that came out that this is during the commercial break I today. Saw it. Um, 
when it cuts to the Cavs bench, and you can obviously cut the tension with a knife as you look at all the players there, and you know, Jr., LeBron, George Hill, they're all sitting on the bench. No one's really saying anything. And when Ty Lue, the head coach, comes to the bench, um, you know, you can do a, a nice little lip reading. LeBron asks him, you know, did we have a timeout? And obviously they did have a timeout. Lue tells him they did have a timeout. And LeBron, I mean, it, 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 shock and flabbergasted, uh, verklept, whatever whatever word you want to use, he was just completely uh, shocked and, and and just completely upset about what, what, you know, transpired in that situation. Obviously probably upset at himself he didn't call a timeout a little bit, upset that J.R. didn't decide to call a timeout, upset that Ty Lue didn't call a timeout, upset that they just didn't execute this final play. So I have to ask you, I mean, is there any comparison that you, you can make to this J.R. Smith play? You, you've, you've seen a little bit more basketball than me uh, with all your time watching Bobby Jones and Billy Cunningham back in the day. So have you, have you seen anything like this? I think these are all game situations that you almost have to always practice. And, you know, yeah, I mean, look, I've been critical of J.R. Smith. I've seen, you know, I often wonder if J.R. Smith's values for the Cavs or for the opponent. Mm. I tend to think it's more for the opponent, you know. But, I, you know, what hit me with that video, say, Frazier, was how, I mean, this is the seventh conference championship that LeBron's been in. Yep. And this, he act. I mean, the passion in him and the and what he goes through was remarkable, and how he felt, and you know, and what he looked at. And he's right. I mean, look, if everybody can get mad at J.R. Smith, but Ty Lue should have called timeout. I mean, that's a fact. I mean, there you are. You're not paying attention to the game. Once he got the rebound, he should have been screaming timeout. He should have been screaming timeout because the one thing you know is your head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers is you know Jay, you don't want J.R. Smith making decisions for it. Mm-hmm. So once you saw him get the ball, you don't want it to just let it play. You need to you need to intercede, and I think that's why LeBron was so pissed off because even though it's not LeBron's job to know he how many timeouts that he had, it's Ty Lue's job. And I think as much as anybody, Ty Lue has skated by on that one. I mean, J.R. Smith deserves criticism, but Ty Lue deserves even more for not calling timeout. And especially since he had a timeout in his pocket, he wasn't into the game. That's what drives me crazy about most coaches that are absolutely so emotional during a game and they're screaming and yelling. They're not into the game. And that's why I always tell you all the time, the greatest coach, the coaches that look like they're playing chess are the ones that you have to fear the most because their minds are thinking two or three plays. Like you're sitting there, you're, 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 you're Ty Lue. And you got to sit there and say to yourself, okay, if he get if he misses this, we get the rebound. We got to call timeout. Like that should have been in the bench. Mm-hmm. That should have been that should have been before we shot the if we miss if we get the rebound we got to call timeout. It seemed like they and, were they were already planning ahead for you know the Warriors to for them to make the free throw and the Warriors to have the ball back. I mean, it, it, I think but you got to plan for everything though, Tay Frazier. Yeah. That's what you have to do, right? Of and so that's the one thing. And I think this where basketball so helps football is these situations that come up. You have to practice them, and you can't. And there's so many of them that you can't practice them all in football. There's so many of them, but you got to try to practice them. That's why every week during the regular season, you got to clip out every single critical moment of every game. And you got to watch it as a head coach. And you got to learn from the mistakes of other people because if you don't, then you're going to make that mistake sometime. And you got to spend almost all, every afternoon on Friday. I mean, Belichick does this even now. Friday afternoon going over other games, seeing how people manage the clock, what they did, how they handled the situation. Because if you don't learn from other people's mistakes, you're going to make them and you're going to get fired. Late game execution is always uh, a pivotal point. I think the... the in any sport, in though, any Tate sport, Frazier, yes. in any sport. Of course. Of course. I, I, felt, I felt for LeBron because I think you could see it in his face. The, the man... He's on such a singular mission himself 
um, to 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 try to knock off this Warriors team, and he's carrying such a weight. You know, scoring. He's basically playing point guard. He's running the offense. Everything is initiated through him. He has so much weight that he has to bear in every single one of these games, and he has to execute every single possession to perfection for them to have a chance to win. And then in this situation where you know he just needed a little bit of help for someone else to know that they had a timeout to call, and for someone else to think through it, you know, I think he was probably more upset at himself. I know people were saying that he was, you know, he looked like a sour teammate or whatever it may have been with his reaction, but I think he has so much that he is putting on himself. Um, you know, in all these situations that he just, you know, you, you got to know that you have a timeout if you're Ty Lue. That's all I would say. Yeah, I, I, I think I Jason Kidd would have known he had a timeout. He would have spilled some ice. He would have done something. I think, I think the pain was so obvious it hurt him. Yes. So. Yes. It's just you could see the pain, and that to me is why he's such a great player. Because he's going to, you know, he it, it, that's what makes him work out every day. That's what makes him come back every year. Mm-hmm. Is because it's the winning. Winning is more important than anything. Absolutely, and we know that uh, you got to win for people to uh, to buy back in, and the, it saved Kevin Durant from not getting that rebound because they won the game and nobody talked about it. Instead, everyone talked about Jr. and uh, you know George Hill and Ty Lue and all you know the whole situation, and that's what happens when things don't go right for you. Uh, anything else, Lombardi? Before we get out of here, we'll be gone for two weeks no, again. We'll be I back just in a couple weeks. We have to wait till Wednesday for the next game, but we'll we'll do it. And they could just brush up on the NBA draft, Hey, Frazier. I'll be ready for it. Don't worry. I'm ready. I'm ready. I, I've heard a lot of rumors about Mo Bamba. People trying to trade up for Mo. Bamba early in the draft. I'm a big fan of Mo Bamba out of Texas, 7-10 wingspan. Someone to keep an eye on out of Harlem, New York. Uh, got mentored by Emeka Okafor from UConn. People remember Emeka yeah. Okafor uh, from a Char- Charlotte Bobcat back in the day. So, yeah, I'm going to keep all eyes on the NBA draft. We'll keep everything uh, up to date on the NFL, and we'll get ready to be back in two weeks. Two weeks.